right, good morning, City Light. Good morning, good morning. If you are new here or have just been coming for a little while, uh, please fill out the Connect card in your seat. We would love to help you get plugged in to grow in your spiritual journey wherever you may be. So if you could hand that to the back or over here on your way out, we would love to give you a present. And so we'd love to get you connected. So please do that. A couple more things before we jump into the Word. The next two Sundays, we will be handing out a list of items that you can go buy, put together, and then the information needed to deliver it to a local family. So this is our Thanksgiving ministry and the way that we go about really a lot of our food deliveries. Uh, Instead of trying to store everything here and manage that, we're going to give you a list. You're going to go to the grocery store with your lighthouse or with your spouse, with your friends, by yourself, whatever. Uh, Go ahead and buy the things, put them in a box, and then you'll have the information you need to deliver it to a local family. These local families have been identified by social workers and community leaders as families that are indefinitely in need during this season. And so we're going to be very precise with the way we're able to help our community. Uh, And so please make sure you come ready uh, to do that. So the next two weeks, next Sunday and the Sunday after that, grab a list. Do it together as a group, do it by yourself, do it with your friends, do it with your kids, whatever. Uh, And make sure that you participate in that as a way for us to bless our community during this Thanksgiving season, particularly and especially for those uh, who are in a really hard and difficult spot. And so please come ready for that. The second thing is today, some of you may not know, some of you do, is Orphan Sunday. And so we want to consider and pray uh, and just remind everyone that a lot of what we do here at City Light is aimed at restoring and doing ministry amongst vulnerable children both locally and abroad. And so there's a lot of ways that you can get involved in that. Uh, We serve basically at least five different organizations overseas, just to give you an example. Uh, One of the ones in Uganda, the Good Samaritan Ministries, they have an orphanage that houses over 2,000 orphans. And so a lot of your donations and support go directly to support and to strengthen their work. Almost pretty much any ministry that we connect with overseas has an orphanage or some type of ministry to vulnerable children in their community. Uh, Some of you have been able to go on our trip to Mexico to visit La Roca. They also do much of the same really wonderful work. And so as you support this church and as you even want more information about how to support those organizations overseas, we'd love to help you in that. But much of our giving as a congregation to work overseas goes to support that. Also locally, uh, there's many ministries we'd love to, again, spotlight to make sure you can get involved in. Young Lives Cares for Teen Moms uh, and their newly born babies or young children. Hope Pregnancy Center uh, helps women choose life and then helps them navigate life after choosing life and raising children. Uh, We work with the local Department of Health and uh, Family Services to be able to support children in need. Obviously, my wife and I are foster care parents, as with many people in this congregation, have either done foster care or adoption. And so all of these ways I want to put before you as opportunities uh, to care for the orphan both locally and globally. And so all I want to do today really with that is put it in front of you once again to remind you of the effort of City Light and our desire to prioritize this area of work in the world and to also hopefully encourage you uh, that it may not be the way you think, but everyone, especially those who call themselves followers of Christ, as we know from James 1, true religion is to care for the orphan and the widow. And so every one of us ought to be in the game at some level. So whether it's through your generosity, whether it's through your time, whether you can become a foster care parent, whether you can adopt, whether you can go support Hope Pregnancy Ministry Center and give them some diapers, whatever it might be, uh, we would love to help you take that first step. One of the things that I'm very, very much so uh, passionate about is that we would really be pro-life and not just argue against abortion, but also act for the orphan. 
This is very important because I see this not being played out very consistently in Christian circles often where we spend an awful lot of time on one thing, which we rightfully should, but we neglect the other thing altogether. And for us to be consistently, authentically, genuinely pro-life is to both argue against abortion and do everything we can to defend the life in the womb, but to put just as much effort and energy into carrying the life once it comes out of the womb. This is what it means to be really pro-life. And so for us to say, yes, we will do what we can, especially to to support organizations like Hope Pregnancy Center, which help women choose life. We also do everything we can, like a ministry like Young Lives is so important to say, okay, you're 16 and you're pregnant, you should have that baby, but you're not gonna do it alone. And we're gonna come alongside of you in this crazy season of your life and we're gonna help and support you. And so uh, there's two categories we use often for this kind of work, preventative and restorative. And so preventative is any work we do to help keep families together and to help make them whole and healthy, to help parents be able to become healthy uh, human beings so that they can really support and care for their children so they don't lose them. Uh, That's preventative. And so you come alongside a teen mom, you help her learn how to parent so she can stay with that child and begin to progress and grow in their relationship. That's preventative. Restorative is when a child does become an orphan, whether it's through a lack of care and neglect or whether it's from parents dying, whether it's local or overseas, is to say, okay, now that situation is what it is. Uh, How can we come alongside that child to restore and to redeem what's going on in their life. And so those are two different ways, both of them very important uh, for you to consider and get involved in. There's information on our website, there's information out in the lobby. Uh, You can pretty much talk to any staff member. We know the different ways for you to serve or to give. So I just want to remind you once again to put it in front that especially as a Christ follower, God has called you to care for the orphan. Uh, And so you don't need to necessarily ask, should I do that? You just need to ask how. And how has the Lord called me in this season of my life to be a part of that work, both locally and globally? And this will always, always be a primary thing that we spend our time doing here at City Light. Amen? We're good on that? All right. Amen. Uh, So today, we're continuing our little mini-series that the Holy Spirit has led us into called Stress, Depressed, or At Rest. And today's message is called Give Me a Break. All right? So turn to your neighbor and say, give me a break. Give me a break. Just give me a break. Give me a break. I want to clarify that the name of this message isn't a message for me to you to give me a break, okay? That's not what that means. Uh, But all of us have either probably thought these words even in the last week, have certainly had seasons in life where we just sat down and said, just give me a break. Just give me a break. For the love of God, just give me a break. Some of you feel those words so strongly right now, as many of you have been talking with over the last weeks as the Lord has led us into this season of restoration. Uh, for your bodies, for your minds, for your emotions, for your soul, for your spiritual well-being. Some of you are stressed absolutely to the max. Some of you cannot take one more thing. Some of you are on the edge of a season of burnout or consistently right now in a season of burnout. Some of you are struggling with being tired. Some of you are tired of being tired. Some of you are dealing with mental battles. They are wearing you out. Some of you are dealing with chronic physical pain or physical difficulties. That is taking its toll on your life. Some of you, your emotions are out of whack, and you are dealing with what that looks like. Some of you are simply experiencing a spiritual emptiness. Though you're trying to do all the right things before God, you feel empty in your soul. And you wonder, what do I do with that? Some of you are growing tired of even trying to serve and do the right thing. Whatever it might be. Whatever your situation or season in life, these are things that we all face, and whether it's just a bad day, a bad week, a bad year, or a difficult season of life, we all have times where we sit down and we say, just give me a break. What I want to do today is help you know what Jesus says to you when you say, just give me a break. 
This is gonna be an amazing opportunity for us to see God's perspective on this. It's been very helpful for me this week. So go ahead and open your Bible to Mark chapter six. Let's go, all right. We are excited to jump into the word of God. Good job. We are going to see a group of disciples in Mark chapter six that felt the same way that you feel and who needed a break like you do, but they didn't get what they expected. Therefore, the solution to your current struggle and season also might not be what you expect. This is what I want to do is open your mind and your heart to what Jesus might intend and mean by rest, what Jesus might intend and say when you ask for a break, and maybe, just maybe, you need to stop looking for the thing that you're looking for and adjust what Jesus' response to you might be. Maybe the solution to your season is not what you expect, and God wants to open your mind and heart this morning to view things his way. So what does Jesus do when you say, give me a break? Let's find out. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. So the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. So this is a very intensive ministry season, okay? They had just gone out, and they had just worked, and they had been on the grind, and they had given it all over to God. This was a complete difficult season. They come back, and they're tired. So he says to them, okay, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is every parent that's like, can I get five minutes to take a shower? Is this even possible? Like, can I just do the most basic things human beings are supposed to do? They're like, I just want to eat. And they have no leisure or time even to eat. So they go away into a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So Jesus is like, I see you. Why don't you come take a rest? He puts them in a boat. Verse 33. Now many saw them going, and they recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns. They got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He didn't see a desolate place. He didn't see a place of rest. When they got there, they saw a great crowd. And Jesus, it says, had compassion on them. What I love about this, and we'll see it more a little bit later in the sermon, is that even when Jesus is in a season of exhaustion, he is still filled with compassion. This is a wonderful view of our Savior. You should take him in and just consider that in his tiredness and in his own season of being weary as a human, he sees this great crowd, and his first response is not frustration but compassion. That's how the Lord feels about you as well. Why was he so compassionate? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And it grew late, his disciples came to him, and they said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late, send them away. Now, I love how they, 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 they do this. Remember, these disciples are humans just like you, okay? They're not superheroes, and they're not these all crazy godly people all the time. You know what, they, we know what they're doing? This is called blame shifting, so that you put something on someone else because you want to get out of the situation, you know? They're like, these people are hungry, send them away. What they really mean is, I'm so sick and tired of doing this, I need a break. You guys have all done this. We've all done this. Be like, they really, you're like, that person, why don't you just go? And what you're really saying is, I would just like you to get away from me. You know, you're like, I need you to do this. You're like, no, no, no. Okay, so these disciples, they're they're thinking like you and I would think. They're so tired. It's been a long day. They're like, you said we'd get a break, and we're sitting here. There's like 20,000 people here. What are we doing? So they're like, send them away, okay? And to the surrounding countryside, let them buy themselves something to eat. We're done. And Jesus responds to them, and he says, you give them something to eat. Now, place yourselves in their their shoes again. 
They're hangry. They haven't had a chance to eat themselves yet, you know. They're tired, okay. They've been doing all the right things trying to serve. They still can't get a break. Now, this response that comes out of their mouth, I believe, is completely sarcastic. And this is sarcasm, okay. They're being smart, Alex, now. And they're like, they roll their eyes like a teenager, and they say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Basically, they're saying, this is the dumbest idea. All right? I know you're Jesus and you're the Lord, but this is a bad idea, okay? We give them something to eat, you know? Imagine I just looked at Cole right here and I said, I want you to feed everybody in this room right now. You'd be like, what? What? That's not even possible. How do I do that? That's what they're feeling, Okay? They're saying, this is ridiculous. Uh, are we going to go do that? It's sarcasm. They're not actually going to go do that. So they're very upset. He says to them, okay, well, how many loaves do you have? He's so patient. Go and see. When they found out, they said, out of this whole crowd, we have five loaves and two fish, which is like a joke. So then he commanded them all to sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He said a blessing. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they, look, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, which would be estimated to be around 15 to 20,000 people. And so, in light of this passage, this is where we start. Often when I have taught, read, or preached this passage, I have focused much on Jesus and the crowds. But this last week, what I've really come to understand is the perspective of the disciples. And what does God have to say to this group of disciples that are going through this particular season and struggle in life? So as we talk through it a little bit, notice what happens. They come back from an intensive ministry season, an intensive season of work, an intensive season of grinding it out, an intensive season of giving it all away. They are spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally drained. They didn't stop even to eat. And so Jesus looks at them in that moment, and he says, come and rest a while, which you think is a good, healthy response. They get in the boat to go rest, but they show up to a place of work. Now, we know that Jesus is God, and therefore Jesus knew the future ahead of time. He invited them to come rest, and he put them in a boat to go work. He knows this is going to happen. He's not surprised when they get there. So what's going on? One of the options is, oh, he must be cruel. What is this going on? Is this a game that he's playing? He's like, okay, y'all, get some rest. Psych, you know? Got him, you know? You're going to come work, you lazy bums, you know? No, we, don't, we know from the character of Jesus that's not how it is now. Some of you laugh at that, but in your mind, the way you deal with God, often you might think, he's trying to mess with me. This is not the perspective of the scriptures. Jesus, of course, is not messing with them. So if he's not messing with them and he offers them rest, but he takes them to work, then what's going on? This is where the truth lies. This is where the beautiful breakthrough that God might have for some of you lies this morning. There is something deeper going on about Jesus' intentions. So, what happens then when your place of rest becomes a place of stress? Whether it was home or a different place where you go or whatever it might be, the thing that you used to do, what if a place of rest becomes a place of stress? What happens when you say, give me a break, but others say to you, give me a breakthrough? You go to your boss, I need a break. He goes to you, I need a breakthrough in this. You go to this friend, this family member, whatever it might be, say, give me a break. And they're looking to you, say, give me a breakthrough. 
whether that's in your home, in your ministry, in your work. Sometimes a family member that always has a problem that needs to be solved, a friend that's in a very tough situation, you say, give me a break. They say, give me a breakthrough. What do you do? What happens when you say, I can't take one more thing, but then you get five more things? What happens when you say, I can't take one more thought, and then you get 10 more to battle with? What happens when you say, I can't talk to one more person, but then you show up to a crowd of people? What do you do? How do you navigate that in a healthy way? What happens when you even need a vacation from your vacation? What do you do when that break that you got doesn't actually do what you needed it to do for you? What do you do? What happens even theologically when God is the very one leading you into those places? You ask God for a break, but God puts you in a boat and sends you on an assignment. What do you do? What do you do? What often happens with people like us is we burn out. Whether it's at home, at work, or in ministry, you simply at some point say, I'm done and I cannot go on. I cannot do it this way anymore. And the Lord wants to meet you in that very place this morning and to help you. Now for some of you, you are in that place and the Lord is going to give you a word to pull you up out of it at some level. To some of you, you are dangerously creeping towards that place unaware and the Lord wants to put a big red light up this morning to say, hey, watch it. I've been talking to some of the younger people on staff to say, hey, look, maybe one of the reasons I'm experiencing some of this is so that I could pass on some information to you so that you could change the way that you're doing your life and maybe not end up facing the same thing I'm dealing with right now. Maybe that's part of the point. Maybe that's true for you as well, whether God wants to pull you up or God wants to prepare you. One of the things we must consider, even where we live, is how much the place where we live determines how, or the place where we live determines how we live. For those of you who may not have lived in D.C. culture very long, or those of you who have moved here from somewhere else, or those of you who have been here your whole life, one of the things I notice a lot is, right, I, I'm from Alabama. It's very different than D.C. Very different. And when you're in Alabama, it's super chill, and sometimes people need to get going, you know? And when you're in D.C., all they do is go, and sometimes they need to chill out. And so we need to trade some people out, and maybe it'll balance things out. When D.C. be more chill, and Alabama can get more going. These are the kind of things, but what you realize based off where you live is that the place where you live determines how you live. And some of you have gotten so sucked into D.C. culture that you're living a lifestyle that is unhealthy, and you are completely unaware of it because everyone else is too. I want you to think for a second. I want your spiritual antenna to be up. So you must say, well, I'm not as sad and broken as Nate is right now, and so I don't even necessarily need this message. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need it if you're in that place. You need it to keep yourself from getting in that place. You need to have your spiritual antenna ready and up to say you have been sucked into not only the lifestyle of the world, but the DC culture around you to match your own ambition. All these things are coming together. And so now what do you do when you possibly are on a season or on the brink of this kind of danger in life. You say, give me a break, and God says, what? This is what we're gonna do now. What does God say? So the first thing God says we see, that we've already discussed, he says, come and rest a while. Now, I want you to understand, first and foremost, that he means this. This is not a joke. Come and rest a while. God loves, as I would call it, the blessing of resting, okay? The blessing of resting. Now, it might not look how you think, which is what we're going to get into. Rest might be more of a rhythm of life than a break from life. This is something that you need to consider. But, but, Jesus modeled a rhythm of break and rest throughout his earthly ministry and his life. He would go to the Father in a desolate place. He enjoyed time with his disciples around a meal. No mission, no ambition, nothing to get done, just time. 
and presence with them. This was the normal rhythm of his life. He lived a very, very, very balanced and fruitful life. So Jesus gives a model of that. Obviously, theologically, throughout the Bible, God makes the earth in six days. He takes the seventh day to rest. Uh, Just FYI, God doesn't need any rest. He didn't need a break. He's setting a model for us. God gives us the Sabbath principle so that we would learn to trust and rely on him, but also so that we could take a rest. It's a blessing and it's a gift to us. Throughout the scriptures and modeled in Jesus' life, he very much believed in a time of rest and recreation. This is a good gift from God. Even as we were reading in Ecclesiastes before the Spirit changed our sermon series, that often throughout the book he'll say simply you should stop being so heavy about life and you should start just enjoying what God has given you, the good gifts. Eat, drink, and be merry. Not, uh, not without wisdom, but to do so to say just enjoy your life. So some of you need to let the weight of the world rest on God's shoulders, take it off of yours, put your work down and your ambition to the side and take a break, take a rest. The world does not depend on you. You are not the savior. Take a rest. Recreate. Enjoy the good things that God has given you, whatever they may be. You might say, well, there's not very many. Well, enjoy the ones you have. This is very real and in your life. You might need to very much so take a break, an actual rest. Jesus means it. It is not a joke, and it is not just a psych. Now, we're going to see what he really means by it, but he definitely at some level needs, means you ought to take a rest. You ought to get into this boat away from all these people. Now, one of the things you ought to consider as you consider being a person of rest is this. Does your rest complete or does it deplete? Does it replenish or does it diminish? This is very important for us because when you look into your free time, you say, how do I spend my rest? Everybody knows how it feels to say, I need a break, go binge on Netflix for three hours, and then feel worse after than you did in the beginning. And you say, as a matter of fact, I feel depleted, not completed. I feel diminished, not replenished. That time of rest is actually taking me deeper into a place of anxiety because I didn't rest right. Now, is it okay to watch a show? Of course, you can take a break by doing that. It's like we said a few weeks ago, God shows up to Elijah and the first thing he does is offer him some cake to help him deal with his disappointment and frustration. But he offers him some cake, okay, not a whole cake, all right? So there's balance in there to say, all right, go eat your cake, don't eat the whole cake. Go watch a show on Netflix, don't watch three straight hours. All these different things to say, okay, how do I navigate my season of rest? So yes to rest, you need to consider, and this is something for you to write out, you need to journal or figure it out for yourself, is my rest Uh, completing or depleting me, does it replenish or does it diminish? God has given us rest as a blessing to his children and as a means of rejuvenation in our life and in our spirit. And often the means and the choices that we take for rest are mistakes because they don't actually give us the rest that God has intended. And so does it replenish or diminish? God's goal is that your rest would replenish and help complete you as opposed to diminish or deplete from you. Now, this is important, okay? You might actually need to take a break. I'm gonna put that over there now because I'm gonna do something different, all right? So I'm saying yes to that, but now I wanna help you understand what Jesus might be teaching about rest because this is the reality of life is that oftentimes even taking a break does nothing to solve the issue. It does nothing to solve the issue. This is the very reason why we say I need a vacation after the vacation because the vacation and the break did nothing to actually solve my soul, It did nothing to actually help my experience in life. It might have given me a brief recovery, a brief reprieve, but it actually doesn't help me. I need a vacation after the vacation. And so what do I do with that? People often say to me or something like, they'll say, okay, well, you should make sure you take a day off. And I'm like, okay, I can take a day off of work. I still have little children. And all the parents said, you know, amen. 
what do you mean take a break, you know? I love my kids and I love playing with them. It is not a burden, but it's, it's not a break. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I can forget about church for a minute. No problem doing that. I can be home. But when I'm home, all right, I'm still feeding kids. I'm still doing all these things together. It's, it's not a day off. That thing doesn't exist. And there are certain seasons in life where everybody's like, yeah, I mean, it's just the reality right now. It's, and so now you say, okay, rest, recreate, you know, make sure you take break. Make sure you're not putting the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's cool. A good principle in life ought to consider these things. But welcome to the real world, Nate. What do I do with this? I can't do any of that like you said I could. I, can't, I don't have that opportunity in my life. As a matter of fact, even if I got some rest, I still have to go to work most of the time. I can't just quit my life. All these struggles and the things that are burdening me are things I have to carry. I can't just let them go. I must provide for them. I must do these different things. So what do I do now? It sounds like a really great principle of life, but welcome to the real world, Nate. How do I live this out? I need a break, but the break that I can get doesn't give me the reprieve that I need. So how do I live a healthy life? This is what you all are probably asking yourself sometimes and what you ought to consider. And this is exactly the question God wants to answer. And I love this text so much the more I have been looking into it. So here's the sentence for you, that you are looking for rest from life, but what you need is a new rhythm of life. You are looking for rest from life, but what you need is a new rhythm of life, a new way of doing life, a healthy rhythm of life. You keep looking for a break from life, but what God wants to help you understand is how to live a new way of life, a new rhythm of life. This is where the spiritual really health and this almost like a secret of life begins to unfold before us to say, I've been looking for a break, but what I need is a new rhythm, a new rhythm. The break didn't do it for me anyways. Now, we all know how important rhythm is. Everyone that's ever been to a wedding on the dance floor understands how important rhythm is. We also know how rare it is because when you go to a wedding with 100 people, two of them can dance. Too. And they're the people who get in the front and everybody tries to follow them, but nobody knows what they're doing, you know. There's two of them that can dance. There's a few people that might be able to follow a song as they've learned the electric side over being to 100 weddings, but they have no rhythm. They just know what technically to do. But rhythm is important. Why is rhythm so important? Well, rhythm is important mainly because it smooths things out. Things that were jagged and random and disorganized become smoother with rhythm. Rhythm takes something that's chaotic, right? People that dance just by throwing their body parts everywhere because they don't know what to do. And then they bring order to that, it flows. It takes something unorganized and it makes it organized. It takes things that would be random and it puts them in sync with one another. Rhythm smooths things out. This is why rhythm is so important and why it helps us dance, but also rhythm spiritually is the very thing you need to start smoothing out your life. Your life feels like a bunch of random movements putting together. It feels jagged and uncoordinated and not helpful. And when people look at it, they're like, oh, I don't know what you're doing. And you say, what you need is actually not a rest from life, but a new rhythm of life. You need rhythm, the rhythm of grace and the rhythm of the Holy Spirit and the rhythm of the way of Jesus to begin to smooth out your life. So how do we do that? That's the real question. Not how do I get to the beach house this weekend, which might be helpful. Fine, I'm not against that. But how do I actually live a healthy life when I can't do that, which is most of the time? Here's some principles from the scriptures. Number one, I need to learn to rest in the work, not just from the work. 
This is very important. It has been the thing that has stands out to me the most. I need to learn to rest in the work, not just from the work. I love this. Jesus says, come and rest. And then he gives them not only a ministry assignment, but an impossible one. Okay, come take a break. Yo, what's good? Feed 20,000 people. You're like, what? You know, like, that's an impossible assignment. How ridiculous of a thing is that to ask? Now, you say, okay, this is a, this is a burden. Feed 20,000 people? That's a burden of work on my life, not a place of rest. But this is the whole point. They say it's too much for me, and Jesus says, yeah, that's the point. Give it to me. You see what he's doing here? The burden and the solution to how to feed all of these people was never on them. And it's killing them mentally when they try to figure it out for themselves. And the whole time, Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm the solution that you're trying to figure out. The solution is the Savior. The solution is the way and the work of Jesus. They put the burden on themselves to do what they could never do when the whole time Jesus wanted to relieve the burden for them, Jesus never asked them to complete the work. He simply asked them to be a part of starting it. And what a different perspective if the disciples show up. They see 20,000 people. They say, I'm so tired, but they're like, I know Jesus has got this. I'm just going to hang out with them. I'm just going to sit like one of them. I'm just going to, you know. What if they're putting so much on themselves that Jesus never intended for them to think? What if they begin to think differently to say, there's an opportunity for me to rest in this moment of work, not just from it. That's the rhythm that Jesus wants to begin to unfold for them. 1 Peter 4.11 is a verse I have been thinking a lot about this week. Whoever serves, it says, as one who serves, get this, by the strength that God supplies. Oh, come on now. This, I'm telling you, forget my sermon for a second. Take this verse, grab a journal or your iPad or your computer, and go think about it. You'll get way more help that way than you ever will out of 30 minutes with me. Take this with the Holy Spirit and just begin to think. Am I serving, living, parenting, working, helping in my strength or in the strength that God supplies? You know, and I even, we were talking about this with staff. Say, how do you even know the difference? How do you discern this? That's why you need some time with the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to answer that question because I can't do that for you right now as a sermon. But you're going to get way more help if you go talk to Jesus and he helps you answer that question. Am I serving, parenting, helping, working, living in the strength that I can give myself or in the strength that God supplies? Because if I'm serving, working, living, parenting in my strength, then I cannot rest in the work. I can only rest from the work. But if I'm serving, living, parenting, helping in God's strength, then I can rest both in the work and from the work. Oh, it's like a spiritual breakthrough for many of you to begin to discern and just to think and to process. What does it mean? What does it look like? How do I go about making sure that I am living, serving, parenting, helping, working in the strength that God supplies? And if you can go do some business with the Holy Spirit and make some progress in that area, you are going to find so much help. So much help. Don't rely on me just telling you to serve in the strength that God supplies. Go do some work with Jesus. Let him teach you. 
Let him bring some things to life to say, no, 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 you're not actually. There's so many things in my life and in my heart, even over the last month, where I realized I really do depend on myself. I would never have said that until the Lord began to reveal, reveal, reveal. I didn't get that from a sermon. I got it from him, a time with him. This is what you need, okay? So please, please, please don't rely on a few principles in a sermon. Take that verse. Let the Holy Spirit sink it into your life. Discern. You're going to be helped. Learn to live, parent, work, help, serve in the strength that God supplies. An example of this is, um, you guys, many of you who have little kids know this. At some point, a child enters into this, what I call it, the I do it stage. And they just always say, I do it. I do it. I do it, you know? And so an example is like when my two-year-old tries to brush her teeth, she says, I do it. And you know what happens when a two-year-old tries to brush their teeth? They get cavities, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't work. She'll grab the toothbrush. I do it. I do it. You know, I'll try to get her to close her teeth. Like, she's determined. I do it. I do it. I do it. You know, you know what happens when a two-year-old tries to put their little pants on? And they say, I do it. They put them on backwards or upside down. You know, like, it, it doesn't work. They say, I do it. I do it. I do it. And it's pretty foolish when you look at them and you say, I'm your father. And I want to help you, and I actually know how to do this better than you. And if you, help, if you let me help you, you're going to learn to do it on your own. But the burden doesn't rest on you because I'm your dad. It is my job to brush your teeth. And how often do we look at God with the same attitude? We say, I do it. 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 And we try to grab control of our life from the hands of God. And we try to brush our teeth by ourselves, you know. And then we end up getting cavities in our life because we couldn't do it as good as God can do it. How many of you are in that position in life now? If you were to take a moment to ask the Lord and he would say, yeah, you say that to me all the time, I do it. You know what not spending time in the word consistently is saying to him? I do it. You don't have to say those words, just don't read your Bible. You know what you mean by that? You mean I do it. You know what a lack of a prayer life says to God? I do it. I do it. And that is destroying your soul little by little. And maybe you don't realize it yet, but at some point you will. God wants to be your father. Something I have discerned in my heart, I think I've shared with you, is that I often treat God My relationship to God is more like boss-employee, you know? I do what he says. I am his servant. I will give my life away for him. I believe in him, which is a good at some level thing. But what's the most important relationship is father-child. And that's much more one of rest and enjoyment than one of work and mission and accomplishment. And so if you treat God like boss, you're going to spend a lot of time saying, I can do it, you know? If you treat God like father, you're going to be like, okay, you do it for me, cool, (laughs) you know? I receive your help and your blessing on my life. I know you're not asking me to do anything. As a matter of fact, you just love to bless me. I'm your kid. I don't know how many of you may need to shift that in your head a little bit. What I also noticed from this passage in regards to this idea that we need to rest in the work, not just from the work, what I, what I, what I love about the feeding of the 5,000, just in general, and something we'll say a lot with staff and people around here, uh, is that we bring a little and God does a lot. 
this is like the just basic reality here, right? I bring uh, five loaves and two fish. God does a lot. I bring a little sermon I tried to prepare, but God's got, he does the heavy lift and he does a lot. We bring a few songs. We bring some coffee. We bring a smile. We, we bring what we can to have a service on Sunday, but we bring a little and God does a lot. Like this is how it is. I, I give the little strength I have with my kids. I give a little strength I have. I give what I can, but God does a lot because Jesus accomplished in one second what it have taken the disciples a whole year to do. You see what they're saying? Shall we go buy all this food for all these people? That's going to take 200 denarii. And what they're really saying sarcastically is that's a year's worth. This is going to take time. How in the world it would take us so much time and energy to solve this problem? And Jesus says, yeah, it would for you. But bring those two fish and five loaves to me. And then he does a lot with a little I bring a little, he does a lot. Jesus will accomplish in one second what it will take you a year, 10 years, and 100 years to do. Now here's the, the implication of that. I can try too hard to bring a lot and accomplish a little, or I can, independence like a child, give him a little and watch him do a lot. This is where you begin to discern your lifestyle to say, am I trying so hard to bring a lot so that I can actually end up accomplishing a little because I'm bringing a lot in my own strength. I'm trying so hard to bring a lot, but when I bring a lot, little gets done because it's mine. But if I give him a little, just a little, just a little of the strength I have left, a little bit of the, a little bit of the smarts, a little bit of the talents you give me, if I just bring him a little and say, huh, this is all I got, Lord, and he says, yes, I got it. The burden's on me. I'll do a lot. And how many of you are so worn down because you're trying to bring a lot and you're accomplishing little. And so round and round you go in this hamster wheel. You're so frustrated and burning out. You're saying, I'm trying so hard. I bring a lot, but a little bit happens. It's because you bring a lot, but you can't do a lot. If you bring a little to Jesus, he can do a lot. How does that change the way you begin to live now to say, I'm trying so hard to bring a lot and I accomplish little as opposed to giving him a little and watching him do a lot. Jesus accomplishes in one second what it takes them a whole year to do. This is that phrase we've used over the last several weeks. Now you can either depend or despair. Your weakness and fragility and inability can either lead you into a place of despair and down a rabbit hole of sadness, or it can lead you to a place of dependence to say, as opposed to trusting in myself, I'm going to lean on him. As opposed to despairing about my weakness, inability, fragility, I'm going to use my weakness to rely and depend. That's what it means to rest in the work, not just from the work. Because if the only rest you get is from the work, that's going to lead you to a place of despair. But if you can learn to rest in the work, it'll lead you to a life of dependence. And it'll make you healthy every day instead of just when you're at the beach. This is very, very important. I want you to live a healthy rhythm of life. Okay, the next one. So rest in the work, not just from the work. The next one says, there is abundance in obedience. I love this. Look at the end, verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took up how many baskets? How many? Twelve. Twelve baskets. How many disciples are there? Twelve. That's not an accident. It's not like, oh, look at that, you know? It's like when you order too much pizza and there's just a couple of slices left for just the right people. You're like, what are the odds of that? That's not what happens. Jesus provides according to each one of their needs. Here's what I want you to understand is that God's care for you is specific to you. His care will be according to your need. 
every time. I love this. This is why there's abundance in the obedience, because now they still have to step into the. They can't run away from the crowds. They still have to step into this place. Somebody look at them and say, you need to take a break. And they're like, well, I can't. Jesus just said take a break. This is where I ended up. So I'm going to take the advice of Jesus. I don't know what to do. Um, so I'm stuck here in this crowd. And as they navigate that and as they learn to, like, rest in his power and they're struggling with this reality, at the end of it all, they come to this moment where it's over and they realize that the whole time Jesus had planned not just to feed the 20,000 but to feed them. It's so specific. You have to see this. There's 12 disciples. He says, come and rest a while. He takes them to a place of work. He knows this is going to be a season where they're learning how to do things God's way, and they're going to struggle. And this is not what they expected. This is not the answer, the solution that they had hoped for. But it's going to be a time where he pushes in, and he teaches them how it means to live the rhythm of grace and the rhythm of the Holy Spirit and the rhythm of the way of Jesus. And after all of that, in the midst of all the chaos and them learning and struggling, he doesn't look at them with frustration or say, well, now you finally learned. He looks at them and says, the whole time I had a basket waiting for you. And I know that's true for me and you too. I don't know what the basket looks like. I don't know exactly how he's going to deliver it to you, but there's a basket waiting for you. God's care is specific to your need. And you can trust it. There is abundance in obedience, whether it feels like it in the moment or whether you even understand what God is doing. This is simply the truth. This is how you learn to rest in the work, not just from the work, because then you realize even in the midst of the stress, when my place of rest becomes a place of stress, I continue to step forward and following the way of Jesus, knowing that there's abundance in obedience, not just in stepping away, and because I know that even in my obedience, God's care will be specific to me. His care is according to my need. Don't you love that? You leave from this place, and God's provision for you today is according to your need today. It's not like just a blanket favor over the group of God's people. He's like, this is what this person needs. This is how they need it. This is how it's going to play out. And all day now you begin to understand, man, God's care is according to my need. And this is just the truth. I'm not going to feel it all the time or understand it, but I can bank on it and I can trust it. There's a basket waiting for you. Ultimately, there's a wonderful place called heaven waiting for those of trust in Christ. But even while you're on this earth, God's provision and care for you is still here. Here's something that you must understand. This is the difference between boss employee and father child. It is not God's primary desire to use your life, but to bless your life. I hope you let that sink in, especially those of you who are trying so hard, you know, to serve the Lord, to do the right thing. Trying so hard to parent those kids, you know, trying so hard, trying so hard to serve, trying so hard to work provide for your family. You're trying so hard. You say, Lord, give me a break. And then you have this perspective. You say, well, God just wants to use my life. It's all about God. It's all for his glory, everything, which is true. But it's not God's main desire to use your life as if he needed your help. It is God's main desire to bless your life. Now, that blessing might not look how you expect. This doesn't take away suffering, sorrow, accidents, tragedies, and those might be God's means actually by blessing your life in some way. You must understand it doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want or have some spiritual breakthrough all the time or get the house or whatever. But God's blessing in your life does mean that his care will be specific to your need. And it is not his main desire to use you as a boss would an employee. It's his main desire to bless you as a father would a child. So you have to relate to God like this. I'm talking especially to those of you faithful Christian people who are trying to serve the Lord. 
you can get this twisted in your head that it is God's main desire to use my life, and that's not true. He's going to use your life, for sure. But he's your father. His main desire is to bless your life. And so receive that care from him. Even in the midst of your struggle and your, and your trial, there is abundance in obedience. The last one is God doesn't ration his compassion. God doesn't ration his compassion. As we mentioned in the very beginning, he shows up to the, what was supposed to be a desolate place, a place of rest, turns into a place of stress where he was supposed to get a break. 20,000 people needed a breakthrough. Jesus is exhausted, but in the midst of his exhaustion, he is still filled with compassion. This is exactly, exactly how Jesus feels for you now. He is not frustrated with your neediness. He is not annoyed with your brokenness. He is not tired of the fact that you keep coming to him. He loves it so very much. Jesus is a never-ending, inexhaustible source of compassion. And sometimes you just have to receive that to say, the Father has compassion on me as his child. And what I love about this theologically is think. Jesus, for a little while, took on a human body so that he can sympathize with us, and he experienced the pains of having a human body. He got tired, all those different things. He never sinned, but he experienced what it was to have a body, and so he's physically exhausted. The God of the universe got tired, which is crazy, you know? And so he comes down, and even at his weakest, when he's physically exhausted, he is still filled with compassion. Now take that same Jesus and put him back into his glorified body at his rightful place at the Father's right hand and say even in his exhaustion he was filled with compassion, how much more so in his perfection. Whoa, if they got compassion from an exhausted Jesus, what are you going to get from a glorified Jesus? This is his heart to you. This is what he wants to give you this morning. And ultimately, especially for those friends of mine and those people that I know or don't know, you're here in this audience or you're watching online to say, man, your first step, some of you need to apply these principles because you're already followers of Jesus. But some of you need to now come and say, man, the whole world wants to use me and all the world wants from me is performance. But when I come to God, I get compassion and grace. Why in the world do I keep rejecting the gospel when it just puts me in a place of torment when I could receive the free gift of God and find rest? Come on. Jesus is not just saying, follow me, it's the right thing to do. He's saying, man, stop doing this all the time. You're killing yourself. Trust, repent, follow Jesus, and finally, finally find rest for your soul. What are you doing? Stop doing that. You think following the world is freeing you up, but it's enslaving you. It's enslaving you to ambition. It's enslaving you to performance. It's enslaving you to being the best version of yourself. It's enslaving you to accomplishing much with your life. It's enslaving you. And what you really need is freedom, which you're going to find in Jesus. You want rest. You need Christ. A beach house doesn't do it for the Christian, and it certainly doesn't do it for the non-Christian. You need rest for your soul. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, now that we have peace with God, and the only peace that you're ever ultimately going to need is the peace between you and God. And instead of being God's enemy, running around in the world, not only suffering now, but then destined for a destination apart from God forever because of your sin, why don't you choose to follow Jesus, received rest for your soul now, a new rhythm of life, and the promise of heaven forever? What are you waiting on? It's time, it's time, it is time for you to finally get on your knees, repent of your sins, and trust and follow Jesus. Stop running around that hamster wheel of life. Stop killing yourself. Start finding rest in Christ. You think you're free by not obeying Jesus, but you're just a slave to yourself. 
and to the world around you. Find freedom in his name. Please, please. Jesus does not ration his compassion. And he is ready like a father with his arms open to receive you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. And I don't care the horrible things you've done with your life. Jesus' compassion is enough for you. And his death on the cross is sufficient to pay for all of that. Come, run to the Father and receive forgiveness of sins and start a new rhythm of life. And for all of us, remember, you do not need just a rest from life, but you need a new rhythm of life. Let's pray and respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Just that you love us so much, we thank you for your Father's heart towards us. I pray especially for those that are still apart from you, that they would finally today, God, whether it's on their couch at home or sitting in this building, that they would repent and receive the free gift of salvation in your name. Would you please, please do that today? I pray for all of us, God, that you would make us healthy disciples of Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, have spiritual awareness of how we're doing. I pray that you would lead us into a place of even greater and healthier rhythms of life so that we can live life as you intended for us to live. We submit our weak selves to you. We give you a little, and we ask you to do a lot. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, let's respond to